So today we continue our reflections on giving and generosity. On God's unfathomable generosity to us and how we choose to give something of ourselves back to him. So our question, which Tim mentioned last Sunday, is what shall I do? So first of all, let's reconsider the gift that we are offered from God himself in the person of Jesus. Again, drawing from Tim's words last week, it's a gift of grace beyond our comprehension. We really can't begin to understand what it is that Jesus has done for us or why Jesus dying on the cross that we might be saved, that we might be set free and that we might have life in all its fullness now and forever. A gift for us and a gift that is free of charge. It's free of charge to all who ask with absolutely no consideration as to our worthiness to receive it. No consideration about our past failures or our sins. None at all. If you think about it, it makes no worldly sense. And yet it's the gift that God always intended for us, for his children. In dying on the cross, Jesus brought for us the complete forgiveness of sins all our shortcomings, all the ways we mess up, all the ways that we miss God's perfect bullseye of total righteousness, because that's what the word sin really means, missing the bullseye. In being raised to a new life, Jesus brings us also that same gift, life with God in all its fullness, Fulfilled now in part and eventually fully once Jesus returns to bring all things to himself, as Paul says in Philippians 3. And this is the core of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It's yours, it's mine, once we choose to accept Jesus as our saviour. And with it, as we heard today, we receive a down payment, the promised Holy Spirit of God, to be with us until Jesus returns, which Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1. And if anyone here doesn't know the truth of this amazing and irresponsible gift that God offers us, then I urge you, like Zacchaeus, to be curious. Who is this man? What can he mean for me? But how does all of this relate to the question, what shall I do? Let's take a look at what Zacchaeus has to bring to that question. So you may know the song, the children's song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. But the real story that we heard, that Janet spoke, is much more serious and challenging. 
So what do we know about him? We know a few practical things. We know he's very rich. The word used suggests that he has a great abundance of both goods and money. We know he lives in Jericho, which was a large and important town not far from Jerusalem, on the road to Jerusalem. We know he's short in stature. Not quite sure why, like, why Luke mentions that. And we know he's curious. We know that he's pretty committed. He wants to see the man and who that man really is. This man who goes around healing and forgiving sins. I suspect the forgiving sins, as we see later, may be the thing that drew him. And about whom there is such controversy and fuss. And we know he's not just a tax collector, he's the chief one in the region. And this means that he's almost certainly had subcontractors collecting taxes for him. People like the Apostle Matthew. He was almost certainly corrupt, using his position to extort money and extort excessive amounts from people and even taking land if they couldn't pay, something that is forbidden in the Torah, in his scripture. And we can be pretty certain that he was hated by the people, not just for being a collector of taxes, but for being a traitor, a collaborator with the occupying force of Rome. And I suspect that only people who've lived through a war really understand just how hated such people are. And in fact, in the previous chapter, Luke 18, probably only a day or two beforehand, Jesus has talked about a self-righteous Pharisee, i.e. a religious man, someone like me, who prays to God and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector. And he looks at a figure in the corner, a tax collector who is desperately contrite, and he knows he's a sinner. And Jesus says, it's this sinner who God finds righteous, not the complacent Pharisee. Luke 18. And here we are, a day or two later perhaps, with just such a sinner. And perhaps we can begin to imagine how the crowd would respond to Zacchaeus. And thus how strong his desire must have been to see this man about whom there's such a great commotion who comes into town trailing a vast crowd of people, probably in their thousands, on their way as they head to Jerusalem and Passover. And Jesus, he does something radical and spiritually outrageous. He picks this man out, not just to eat with him, we remember in other passages where he is upbraided for eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
but he's going to stay the night. And the word he uses suggests, Zacchaeus, you've got to be super quick. It's necessary for me to stay with you tonight. It's really important. And this is the message, the same one that Jesus gives to us. You want to see me? Then it's necessary for me to stay with you and I will offer you salvation too. And how does Zacchaeus respond? With joy. I guess he can hardly believe it. And also with immense generosity. He doesn't just give back what is required in God's Torah, what we call the law, which could technically be 20% above the, above the repayment. Instead, he gives what David said is required of a thief, one who shows no and absolutely no compassion which is four times the value of what he stole. And incidentally, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 12, the story of David, Nathan and Bathsheba, you may begin to realise just how much of a sinner Zacchaeus admitted to being. And Jesus' response is... Today, salvation has come to this house. And I don't know about you, but I suspect I can hear Jesus with the same joy. You know, just thinking, oh, look at the response. Today, salvation has come to this house. And indeed, salvation had come in person. Because as you probably know, Yeshua, his name, means salvation. And bringing with him... God's gift of righteousness. Total acquittal for Zacchaeus. Unheard of. So perhaps a more complex story than we first think. And unlike Zacchaeus, we know that Jesus has already paid more than is required for us. More than a hundredfold times. We are not asked to give restitution. No payment is requested. This is our God. Offering unheard of, totally unreasonable grace and forgiveness. Total acquittal without any need for payment. Simply repentance returning to him and that admission that we are in need of forgiveness. Yet, grace, the gift freely given to us, to each of us through Jesus, invites us to be generous people, even though we are not requested, but to give generously of what we have, and like Zacchaeus, to give joyfully. And it's for each one of us to choose in conversation with God how and what we will give and to what cause. 
It's certainly not simply about money. Indeed, the generosity of our people across these churches has already been affirmed. People are hugely generous with their time, their skills, their talents, their prayers. These are invaluable. These are precious to God. And it is also about money. For those of us who are able, we may be called to give in joy in order to support the continued ministry of God across our villages and in our schools. And these things cost money. Indeed, many are surprised when they learn that these ministries aren't subsidised by government, nor even necessarily by the wider church, which has its own financial challenges. And so, we are called to receive with joy the promise given to us through Jesus, salvation, life in abundance, And as we heard in Rosie's reading, the very present gift of the Holy Spirit. And to consider prayerfully how we might best help and support in the building up of a vibrant ministry of faith in an increasingly secular yet anxious world. So let each of us stay, perhaps this Lent, prayerfully with the question we began with. What shall I do? And so let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we remember the gift that you have given us in your Son. That gift that is beyond our understanding to understand. It's beyond reason. And yet, 2,000 years later, we are here because of the truth of it. Jesus has made the payment for us and we are set free. And we ask this Lent that each one of us may hear your voice and we ask you to help each one of us to discern the answer to the question, Lord, what shall I do? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.